0: You have the ability here to make a mark. You have the ability to be a part of something. You have the ability to make change, build a city in a way that very few cities can offer. So once you start, you kind of go, oh my gosh, well, I have the ability, if you're passionate about city building, to really dig in and be a part of it here.
1: This is Conversations with Really Busy People. A podcast brought to you by LDWW. In this podcast, we meet with leading individuals in various industries from across the country. Some are rising stars, and some are already at the top of their field, but they each provide unique insight on what drives them and defines success. They also offer tips and lessons on achieving career goals while sharing what motivates them both personally and professionally and what keeps them really busy. I'm Christy Morgan, head of digital and advertising at LDWW, a full-service creative marketing agency. In working with our clients, we've learned that the best way to convey their message is for us to truly understand who they are and what makes them unique. While most of what we've learned from a business or brand perspective ends up in our work, We have been struck by what we learn from our clients as individuals, how they got to where they are, the challenges, the lessons learned, and future plans they have. And that's what Conversations with Really Busy People is all about, their untold stories. In our first season, we start in our own backyard. Over the past 10 years, Dallas has consistently been one of the fastest growing cities, enticing business from every industry and residents from all over the country and one of the biggest transformations contributing to this growth has been at the center of the city, Downtown Dallas. Leading this effort is Courtney Garrett, president and CEO of Downtown Dallas, Inc. Her 20-plus years of experience in the development of livable cities has been integral to the success of downtown as she has cemented her passion and dedication to her adopted city. Throughout this season, we'll be speaking to Courtney along with other business executives who have also attributed to downtown's progress. We'll discuss the changes over the last 17 years, Courtney's vision for the future, and what inspires her to push for continued success. What is it that you do?
0: I love that question. I kind of feel like I'm the Chandler Bing of my family. No one can quite figure it out. Um, So what do I do? Oh, my gosh. At the grand scale, I mean, I am in the city building business. I want to be building places where people come and where people connect from, all walks of life, that we're building opportunity, that we're building places where you can have chance connections. One of my now great friends, who's another great urban thought leader, calls it the art of serendipity, that we're building places where people have these chance connections that build opportunity, or they build social connections, or they simply build something that's going to give you a smile to make your day better. Like that. That, to me, is what I do every day. Now, I can go into the five program areas that DDI has and what my budget looks like and what we do, but at the end of the day, if I'm building those places where people can come and have those experiences, then I have achieved every goal I could possibly set.
1: Take me back to the point where you realized Hey, this is something I'm into, and I can be, like, a real change right. agent of what is happening in urban space. So can yeah. you kind of, like, walk me through—I mean, I know some other stories that kind of attribute right. to that, but, like, walk it. me through that, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, so I—I I won't go all the way back, but there's a little bit of warm-up here. So I, I go to college, and I think I'm going to go into sort of a marketing role And I (laughs) was close to graduation, a couple months from graduation, and had a TA job, go to graduate school, go into management communications, crisis communications, go save companies. Because at that point, that was the big moment when Microsoft was having their big meltdown. And so I looked at that as a case study. So I was going to go follow that path. And then I met with my student loan counselor. And student loan counselor says, here's your bill. OK, I'm going to go get a job. So my first job out of college was at South Lake Town Square and I had gone on monster.com
1: monster do- sorry right do you remember
0: okay. that i know i know cuz you know it's the context right it's 1999 2000 at this just say i went online i know i went on went online um, So I find this job at Southlake Town Square and it was a marketing communications role working for their general manager. And at that moment in time, Southlake was going through their grand opening period. So this is 99, 2000, 2001. And really what they did in Southlake was build a downtown from the ground up. And their general manager did what I do now in a number of cities throughout the country. So she'd been very nomadic her entire career and built downtowns, like true, authentic downtowns. And this is Nancy. And this is Nancy Horman. Exactly. So they brought her in to give Southlake its authenticity. So she became really my mentor in the business. And what was really cool about it is that prior to that, I didn't even realize there was a career in this. I just knew as a girl who had moved around Colorado for The first 10 years of her life, then was moved all of a sudden to Rowlett in Rockwell, Texas. I just knew that still, when I came to a big city and had opportunities to study abroad or take trips on those high school excursions that you do, that the feeling of being in a city was completely what was in my soul. So you fast forward through that. I mean, again, you go to college, you get a marketing degree because that's what you're good at. You're good at writing. You're good at talking. And then all of a sudden I find out that there's this whole planning, architecture, design world that you enter into. Mm -hmm. And Nancy helped to show me that. She helped to show me place management. What Nancy really taught me was it's so much more than about the brick and mortar. It's about what's happening in the spaces in between. It's about the activation. It's about bringing Santa and bringing people to a space. And even though a lot of people think Southlake Town Square to downtown Dallas, how does that translate? I mean, that was really where I cut my teeth. And so that's where I learned that there was a path in this business. And here I am 20 years out of Southlake and we sit here in downtown Dallas today.
1: Once you start getting into Mm -hmm. the different aspects, large and small of downtown, you kind of can't help but get addicted. Right. And so I find that I'm sure that you have seen
0: oh. some people that
1: you've worked with, but as you were talking about on the board that have been, a, that have been in the sphere of influence for you, they get into it and they're kind of like, okay, I'm in this board position. And then you start, they start becoming involved and mm-hmm. doing things. And they're like, oh, well, right. I'm into this. So yep. you kind of start building this momentum together.
0: Oh, absolutely. You stay involved. Um, yeah, we, um, we see that a lot. And I mean, it's true in my case. I started on an 18-month contract. 17 years later, I'm still here. You have the ability here to make a mark. You have the ability to be a part of something. You have the ability to make change, build a city in a way that very few, particularly in a larger market, very few cities can offer. So once you start, you kind of go, oh, my gosh, well, I have the ability if you're passionate about city building, to really dig in and be a part of it here, I mean, the number one question that I get from prospective members is, "How can my employees get engaged with what's going on downtown? How can we make a difference?" And I think that is just indicative. Um, we heard it from Mike Peterson with AT and today. You know talent recruitment, talent retention, talent engagement is so much a part of it. And again, it's just, it's the Dallas culture.
1: Yeah. And I feel like you have a bigger sense of that when you are in an urban environment because everything is so insular. So in that aspect, you know, you have this greater sense of place. Mm -hmm. You don't have that kind of attachment when you're out in the suburbs. You go to your big box retail, then you leave and drive to your house And so anything between here and there, you're just kind of like, it's not my space. Mm -hmm. But when you're downtown, you have such a sense of place that's much more on a micro level that all of it's yours.
0: Well, and downtown used to be that place. Downtown used to be that place where people were coming in and driving and parking in their parking garage and walking through their tunnel and going to their office and then going back into their parking garage and leaving to drive to the suburbs at night. I mean, that was downtown through the late 70s and the 80s. And... It's really remarkable to me because my personal passion and my personal, what I think is my area of expertise, is really looking at the block by block and the activation and how to build that piece of, that sense of place. And now we're seeing how economic development responds to it. I mean, for a long time it was, well, we're going to, Build this sense of place, and we're going to build the community because it's important to just have people living down here. Because in 1996, there were 200 people living down here. And that was a huge push, but now we're seeing the economic benefit of it. Now you're seeing walkability rankings being equated to real estate values. You're seeing that become a major pitch with your brokers who are going out and recruiting Fortune 500 companies, that there are restaurants at street level, and there are places that you can live within the downtown. So the entire paradigm has changed. And Dallas, granted, has been a little bit later to the game than a lot of cities. But A, we're a younger city. B, we're a sunbelt city. We are an auto-oriented culture. And so it's just taken us a little bit longer to get there. But it's just... What I love about what you just said is it almost seemed like second nature when 10 10 years ago, much less 15, 20 years ago, no, you would have never said that downtown was the place where people wanted to come to engage.
1: So let's go to the point when then there was the Central Dallas Association, then there was the Downtown Improvement District, Mm -hmm. and when the merging... Happened that Mm -hmm. created downtown Dallas and where you were along that path. And that's when you started, you know, as you mentioned earlier, getting involved with Alice Murray. Mm -hmm. So, like, because to me, that was kind of like the next evolution of like what this is. This is coming to something bigger that has a bigger vision.
0: Well, so if you follow the path, the Old Central Dallas Association, which at the time of our founding, was called the Dallas Central Business District Association. So that group was founded in 1958. And you take that moment, and then you fast-forward it to probably about 1997. Um, it became the Central Dallas Association. And a spinoff group called the Downtown Partnership from the what I, parent organization was um, was created to focus just on Main Street revitalization because that was after the time where we saw significant flight in the 80s and 90s, and there was a reawakening both between the public sector and the private sector that we need to do something about downtown. We had 42 vacant buildings at that time. So a kind of spinoff organization that was partially funded by the then Central Dallas Association was created. That's what Nancy Horman ran. And that's when she called me and said, we're starting this new initiative. So at that point in time, our focus was on a 12-block area that had 128 different property owners. While at the same time, you still had Central Dallas Association that was the advocacy group and the steward for all of downtown. But we just had a micro focus on the area that we're looking at right here. So we worked in that capacity for about a year and a half. And then I think there was finally a recognition that there were there was a lot of duplication of effort going on, a lot of duplication of fundraising. Um, a few political chess moves were made, and the organizations came together. And between the retirement of the CEO, who had been there for 20 years, and Alice coming in as an interim to kind of help the organization transition, we recreated what the organization looks like, and then about a year later, probably rebranded to Downtown Dallas Inc. because we looked at it and said we need to be called what we represent most wholeheartedly, and we were no longer just a central business district; we were downtown. So that's a lot of how it it morphed. Um, it was a. Tremendous learning experience for me in organizational management. Um, I learned how to create 501c3s, how to dissolve 501c3s. So, again, it's these little nuggets of knowledge over the last 17, 20 years that have put us in the position where we are today. And now, you know, the organization, we had the Downtown Improvement District, which is still really at the end of the day, it's not a separate organization. It's a funding mechanism. So today we sit as Downtown Dallas, Inc., one organization that is funded by a mechanism called the Downtown Improvement District, which is a property tax assessment on properties that are within the freeway loop, and then membership. So companies and building owners and general folks who want to get involved and are passionate about downtown join and help support us from a voluntary aspect and that's what fuels us
1: now talk about downtown dallas inc 3.0 i guess at this point Mm -hmm. of what you've been able to accomplish in the last five years from a staffing perspective of of decisions you've made from an urban planning on staff to Mm -hmm. you know economic development data and Understanding again because you ended up being at marketing, but then you fell into oh, this absolutely. urban right. development mm-hmm. planning space yeah. where I went to marketing and I kept doing that. Kept doing, right, right, But there was something yeah. that I feel like you started
0: mm-hmm. being
1: exposed to through this that you were like, I'm seeing the sum of all the parts, you know, and how that right. they feed into this larger picture that is downtown yeah so what was that like for you to go from like i'm just marketing and trying to do these things and make people come down here and experience yeah like oh i'm okay right safety is a thing
0: now I, i mean i think it's a deliberate decision and and as i've said numerous times there is no training for what we do as urban managers there's no degree there's no certification. It is a conglomeration of many, many different things. So you'll find people in my position across the country who come into it from different angles. So you have people who are trained as architects. There are people who are trained as designers, as public policy experts, as People who have come into it from a marketing background, and that was really my path.
1: You jumped in head first. Absolutely. You were just like, okay, right. there's this big door, and it just got bigger. So, I'm just going to take it all in.
0: Absolutely. And it's remarkable to me, and I don't sit back and think about it very often, but to think of the number of areas that we touch. So, obviously, there's the marketing and communications realm, we're marketing to bring. People downtown to spend money to live. We're marketing to big businesses, come invest, move your corporation, build your $500 million development. We're at City Hall working on public policy, everything from what kind of A-frame sign should be put outside of your building on up to how you get building level signage, super graphics we talked about a little bit yesterday how to get a development deal done, what kind of public-private partnerships can be created. And Mike and I talked about, I mean, we spent a lot of time at City Hall to get the at and deal through. And it wasn't so much about giving at and any incentives. It was just the street changes and all of the development that they wanted to do. And then you get in, as you mentioned, the clean and safe. We have 50 safety patrol officers who are out on the street seven days a week. They have a complimentary clean team. And so it's really everything from... When you walk out of this hotel in the, tonight, what is the first thing that you see on up to what does downtown look like in the next 20 years? And that's what we touch. So how can you not be addicted to that?
1: Well, I think also it was easy to get addicted
0: mm-hmm.
1: when certain huge transformations start happening back in 2005, 2006, there were a lot of plans out there of like, whether it was Clyde Warren Park, AT&T Performing Arts Center now that we have. Mm -hmm. You know, there were ideas about the Merck at the time and what would the Merck be? And I mean, there was just a lot of things like rumbling. There were just all these like, oh, big things are coming, big Mm -hmm. things are coming, big things are coming. But those things did happen. Mm -hmm. So, and I think within a quick period, you know, within five years from that point, mm-hmm. you had the mark right totally in the where it is now, where it was a mixed use space with residential mm-hmm. and ground floor retail. Mm-hmm. Then you had a parking garage turn into Main Street Garden. Right. Yeah. And then some dominoes just kind of start falling. Yeah. You were at the table sitting in presentations with us with John Zog and going through Clyde Warren Park mm-hmm. and how we're we gonna get this done. Now, if you go stand on it, you see All of this development happening alongside it. That type of Mm -hmm. momentum is easily something that you can be, oh, I'm getting a high off
0: this. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's remarkable, again, because you plant a seed and everything, every aspect, every dynamic, every project's a little bit different, but you can plant a seed and then 10 years later, you see it germinate and you see it grow or... There are some things that happen so fast. I mean, one of the most recent developments with Ray Washburn buying the Dallas Morning News site. I mean, he called me about 45 days before he closed. And I hadn't talked to him since he was on my first board at the Downtown Partnership. I mean, a little bit, but not a lot because he's been in D.C. so much. Here's one thing about doing. And then all of a sudden he closes on it. And now all of a sudden, because, Del- again, great story, dedicated Dallasite. million development going on in an area of downtown where we see the energy moving. So some of these, you're absolutely right. You plant a seed. Main Street Garden's a great example just because that's so near and dear to both of our hearts. Mm -hmm. So Main Street Garden started with the Parks Master Plan. First Parks Master Plan in 2004. Five years later, we finally see the opening of Main Street Garden and something that we were involved in the planning. We were involved in the opening. Now we're involved in the management. So you see that come, my nieces call it Aunt Nene's Park. They call me Aunt Nene.
1: Okay, I was going to say, I hope that's you. I, yeah,
0: it's me. Yeah, yeah. It was Courtney <laughs> Nene. Okay. Um, so anytime we go, and now they're 12 and 8, and they call it Aunt Nene's Park, which is really sweet. So you get to be a part of that, and it's just, um, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and, and to your, like, you talk about, you know, Ray Washburn calling you and having this energy, like, okay, hey, I have an idea. This is what's mm-hmm. happening. You know, how many people, though, that you've, you've seen, right. whether it's anybody on the Headington team that which oh. we'll talk about here in a minute, but are just that enthusiastic about this vision. As we were talking, you know, it's a very opportunistic place to be in. Yeah. And it's totally embraced. Right. And so to see that energy, Mike Hope, for instance. Mm-hmm. Real visionaries seeing it, yeah. And honestly, a lot of them now. I know in the beginning when we were talking, like in the early two thousands, a lot were like, "Yeah, no, yeah, no." But mm-hmm. now, like, there's like there's oh, through, yeah. yeah. To like so, let's get on that for a second. With you being so involved in the beginning in Main Street District, mm-hmm. and business owners, et cetera, Like, right. how do we? Stone Street was a mess. Yeah, you had the Wilson Building. Mm-hmm. You had Kirby but there was just kind of these floating things and nothing was even connecting within a block. Right, right. And then we had some pop-up spaces, the cool space we talked about yesterday, world, yeah. yeah. some other things, but then the nightclubs came. So you, you started seeing some level of things happening, but it wasn't in the way that the jewel spurred. Mm-hmm. So, which is where we're sitting. Mm-hmm which was a monolith that everybody was like oh my gosh we have to do something with this building this was a linchpin even before it was the jewel everybody knew this was a linchpin for the district as a whole right 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 Headington saw it and then he created this what that snowballed into slowly tell me how first of all how that felt for you finally like There's a a fundamental shift Mm -hmm. happening in the district that you had always wanted.
0: Well, I think, you know, to tell the story, you do go back and look at a couple of the pioneers, Ted and Larry Hamilton, who came in and were some of the first— developers to come into the market and see the opportunity with these vacant buildings, understand how to put a tax credit deal together, understanding how to do adaptive reuse, and start to prove up that that could be done here. And that's when you saw the Davis, you know, the Kirby, wasn't a Hamilton project, but came on at that same time, the Magnolia, DPNL. So you start to have these buildings come on, but to your point, it's still sort of disjointed because you have these singular opportunities. Um, but it started to lay the groundwork. And then you have, and uh, Neiman Marcus, thank God for Neiman Marcus for so many reasons, but keeping the flagship Neiman Marcus in downtown in the Main Street District was another huge anchor for us. And then you have a company like Headington come in and I mean, these buildings, oftentimes, it's not the first go that make them go. You have an owner who gives it a try, and then you have another owner who gives it the try. And that was certainly ca- the case for this one. And you have Tim and Michael Tregoning and their entire team come in and see what this could be. And infuse the second anchor into the district, and just start with the historic building, valuing historic preservation, bringing in restaurant life, understanding what it's in li- what it's like to embrace and the importance of embracing the street, and building what you see in the lobby of this hotel today, which is this wonderful um, sort of mixture and draw of. Visitors, employees, creatives, business people. I mean, you walk in this lobby at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and 80% of it are locals doing business from a variety of backgrounds. And so I think what they brought in was really the understanding of true urban And then continued to grow this as the anchor with the eye. And then 4510 coming in as a true soft goods retail anchor. Um, So it's been remarkable. I mean, our vision of having contiguous retail, our vision of having something unique that's truly downtown was just one of the biggest milestones for downtown. And finally, I think, created the awareness in the market that the core of the city had come back.
1: Yeah. And I find something that you've always been able to manage and stride is one, you're always excited and you have great ideas and you're a visionary and you see how things could be and you're always willing to take risks, but it doesn't discourage you in a way that you, that, that it's just like, Oh, that just didn't work here. Or this, right. the, yeah. you're at the point now where, you know, like the timing's not right. Or maybe that just didn't work. That's not going to work for downtown Dallas. Sure. Such a large part of urban development is... There's a lot of hits and a lot of misses, too. Oh, absolutely. And you've got to keep trying to
0: see what Mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. Well, sure. I mean, it goes... The hits and the misses. And a lot of it... A lot of the misses, I don't really even see as misses. I just see as stepping stones to the next evolution. So I think probably one of the most obvious um illustrations of that is with our first stab at bringing retail downtown. So we created a retail incentive program back in kind of the mid 2000s to try and lure tenants and keep tenants operating in downtown because our vision, our tenant mix here really has been. We understand the importance that to come downtown rather than to drive to any shopping mall where you can park for free and walk in your air conditioning, we had to give a reason for people to come down here. So you have to find your competitive advantage. And what's that? It's uniqueness. So we initially started working with local businesses, entrepreneurs, and working with the city to give them incentives to come down. And that's where Cool and Swirl and Crimson in the City um, and even Urban Market, the first grocery store downtown, came into play. And I think you have to, I don't look at those as misses. I look at those as you have to lay the groundwork. And I'm so grateful to those business owners for coming in and proving up that downtown was a place to do business. Now, we had 2,000 residents down here at that time. So, of course, you know, it goes back to this whole chicken and the egg that we've talked about before. We need business to build residential. You need residential in order to build business. So, at some point, somebody has to dip their toe in and take a risk and possibly fail in order to do that. So, I think we've had a lot of those. You know, I can shift the same conversation to transportation. The D-Link system we created to move people, before D-Link even we had the um, the bunny ears, the um, hop a Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, that was like just slightly before my time, but it's the one everybody remembers because it was a bus with big mm-hmm. ears. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's understanding the importance of giving people a perception, especially in Dallas, going back to that auto-oriented culture, that it's easy to get around. And you try these systems, and maybe they work, maybe they don't. At the very least, D-Link gave us the opportunity to show people it's funny people would get on d-link to go five blocks and then realize they could walk faster then get on it because the d-link would get stuck in traffic and and have the stops that's fine with me if it helps you to realize that walkability is important great and i think that's changing i mean we are seeing obviously with the increase in residential Um, People are living closer to where they work, where they play. So that's, that's changing. We're also really focused on microtransit, on last mile, on things that, whether it's a scooter, whether it's bike share, that make, you know, people generally in Dallas are about palatable at a four to five block walk. And then past that, they start thinking, oh, is there another way that I should get there? So if we can give them alternative means... At the same time, boosting walkability, one of our biggest challenges is we have these really successful nodes, the neighborhoods, the districts, but we're still working on infill development. I mean, mind you, reinvestment in the core of our city didn't begin until the late 90s, which in most cities were about a decade behind. And again, we're a young city, we're a city that wasn't developed. We never had a significant urban downtown population, even when downtown was in its heyday in the 50s. We're kind of still building that culture here in a way that other cities have had it ingrained. So it's changing. Um, we're seeing parking ratio demand go down with the newer companies who are moving down here. You're seeing shifts in younger demographics. People are waiting longer to get their driver's licenses. They're demanding public transportation because of ease of access, because you understand the bottom line that it has on your cost of living. If you don't own a car and you're using public transit, then all of a sudden you can afford the nicer place. So that shift is finally starting to make it here. And I think within you know the next five, 10 years, the more we invest in our si- simple things, sidewalk improvements, landscaping, and the more development that we see of these vacant parcels, vacant parking lots. Let's get real, in New York, it hits 98, 99 degrees. It's pretty sweltering. You'll still walk 20 blocks because there's something to do every moment along the way. So I, I think it's just that next phase of evolution for Dallas that you're gonna see. If I have my vision in the next 10 years, that's a huge part of it. It's just people walking and enjoying every moment and every block along the way. I'm
1: Christy Morgan, and this is Conversations with Really Busy People a podcast brought to you by LDWW.